0: Welcome to Radio Beacon, I'm Dan Kittridge, editor of the Cranston Herald, joined as always by Jake Morocco, editor of the Johnson Sunrise. Good afternoon, Jake. Good
1: afternoon, Dan. How you doing?
0: Not too bad on this Friday. This is what, uh, June 19th somehow, Mm -hmm. 4th of July coming up fast. That's right. Time continues to just move at an incredible speed, very, I don't know, it's been a bizarre, as I'm sure uh, uh, most people can relate, a, a very bizarre few months here and yes. that continues to be the case but at least the uh the weather is nice it's almost uh, it's almost hot out there it's summer like and yeah. uh i'm sure i haven't really been down to the the beaches or the uh summer hot spots yet but i'm sure those are amping up i know my girlfriend was driving back from south county yesterday and she was like man there was a lot of traffic i was like yeah i'm sure it's uh increasingly you, you look outside you travel around and uh you really wouldn't know much much different is going on. Um, It's true. The COVID-19 crisis, which we've typically started off with uh, each week, given a a little roundup of, uh, we could touch base on that. We're recording minutes before um, the governor's uh, press conference today on Friday. And uh, today is supposed to be a pretty big one because she's going to outline uh, what phase three of the state's reopening plan will look like. Um, Some broad parameters. She similarly did this a couple of weeks ahead of the move to phase two at the start of June. Um, so in terms of there haven't been a whole lot of policy announcements or big uh, things of that nature from her office this week, from her briefings, the biggest, I suppose, was the um, the announcement that they're expanding uh, further, the asymptomatic testing effort, which they say the state officials say is designed to help uh, collect data and help them, um, as part of their three-tiered testing strategy to, to identify outbreaks and stuff like that. So there's uh, four stop-and-shop locations, a couple in Providence, I think one in, was it Woonsocket, and then uh, the one on Warwick Avenue in Cranston right near the Warwick line, we'll also be hoping that. So as a, as I recall, I think that was the biggest news from the briefings really this week. Um And obviously today, uh, you know, stay tuned, check our coverage. We'll have coverage up later today. um, If you're listening to this later, uh, we'll have coverage going up of uh, the phase three push, which uh, the governor has said hopes to, she hopes to be able to launch um, in July. Now, the numbers continue to look uh, encouraging, you know, locally. Anyway, we're seeing nationally increasingly in places like, uh, you know, Arizona particularly Florida and Texas and some other states, some uh, more troubling trends and, and uh, record increases in new cases and stuff like that. So uh, the picture nationally is certainly not all that bright at the moment. But here in Rhode Island, we are seeing really, um, uh, really good stability in those core numbers. The positive test rates remain very low, you know, two, three percent percent on any given day and they are running the, the number of tests, any, in any given day, any given data report, uh, vary a little bit, but they're still running a lot of tests. Um, you know, unfortunately the deaths continue to, to increase, uh, we're nearing 800, uh, people have nearly 800 people or 900, I should say at this point, people have lost their lives in Rhode Island, uh, as a result of this disease. So that is, you know, the really the stark and, uh, and sad reminder of how how serious this continues to be and the toll it's taken on so many families here in in our state. But thankfully, uh, at this point, um, things are looking better. The number of hospitalizations and ICU patients and uh, and intubations continue to to stay low, decrease. Um, so we hope those trends continue. And if they do, then in uh, come July here in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll be uh, in a much different place. Um, you know, I, I know she's hinted the, the social gathering limit under phase three could be up to anywhere up to 100 people. Uh, I I'm, I'm imagine she'll touch on that or be questioned about it today, the specifics of that. Um, and there'll be much more to, to see. So stay with us for full coverage of, uh, of that news, which will be pretty big today. Um, I will say too, just a quick, before, uh, transitioning into other things, uh, thanks to Janine Nona Massey, again, the superintendent of Princeton Public Schools, her, her appearance with us last week, last week's episode, it was our most listened to to date. So it, uh, people were, uh, anxious to, to tune in and hear what Janine had to say about the, the school situation. And, uh, uh, it was a great interview. So thanks to her. And, uh, as always a, a quick plug, just to go back. And if you haven't heard our previous episodes, uh, Give, give them a listen. Go back and check out our conversations with uh, with folks from around our area. So, um, elsewhere, uh, the news front this week um, uh, politically, things are really heating up. Uh, early next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday uh, is the official arrival of the the candidate declaration period. People who want to seek office this year at that point have to go in and uh, fill out their candidate forms. Uh, announcing their their uh, candidacy and pick up uh, nomination papers to go get signed to get on the ballot. So as we inch, uh, we get to really the, the, the one-yard line here for folks that might be on the fence or people who are considering whether they're going to seek re-election or not. The field of candidates continues to uh, to take shape. We had some some significant announcements in Cranston this week. Uh, two new uh, citywide city council candidates, Nicole Renzulli is a Republican, and Dylan Zalazo, as a Democrat um, declared their candidacy uh, not to go too deep into the weeds on the and stuff, but uh, the citywide seats, all three of them currently are held by folks that are uh, running for mayor or, and, or term limited. Um, so all three of those seats are gonna open up. Uh, councilman Paul McCauley in Ward two has announced he won't seek pre-election and Ward six councilman, Mike Favicchio, who's the uh, vice president of the council is also is term limited. So uh, of the nine members of Cranston City Council, five of those seats are going to turn over. Um, so it's gonna be a, a very new, you know, for a city that's had such stability the last 12 years, in addition to Mayor Fung moving on because of term limits, gonna have a new mayor and a really radically new uh, city council. So um, check out our coverage this week and uh, look in the weeks ahead, I'm gonna be looking to get the, the four mayoral candidates uh, councilman Farina and Hopkins on the Republican side, Councilman Stikos and former Councilwoman Maria Bucci on the uh, Democratic side, um, on the pot in the coming weeks. So voters can get a chance to hear what they have to say and look for our coverage in the paper. Um, I'd note note too that, uh, Ward four councilman Ed Brady announced this week. Uh, he officially, he will be seeking, uh, reelection. So, uh, the political news just keeps flying in. Um, the general assembly's back in session this week, working on the uh, this, the yawning budget gaps for this fiscal year, and uh, uh, they seem to have a solution worked out there. Although I know there's been some controversy over the process, um, and then uh, in, in the weeks to come, they're going to have to address the coming year's deficit as well. So, uh, any any Johnston political news at this point, Jake? Or-
1: So I actually have a story coming next week. I'm talking to Representative Deb Philella. She is running for for re-election, so I'll be talking with her. Uh, We had a nice conversation, talked about quite a bit. We talked about the budget, about the uh, law enforcement bill of rights. So we we talked a a pretty nice wide-ranging conversation. So that will be coming down the pipeline. Uh, We've done an interview here with uh, Joe Cena Jr. You can go back and listen to that uh ask about his future political aspirations but uh things are generally pretty quiet but we we'll have some political profiles coming down the pipeline uh in johnson one note uh we did have a story in this week that uh captain chris correa of the police department is retiring and becoming new parks and rec director he is uh filling the big shoes of dan zula who sadly passed away earlier this year uh but uh, congratulations to chris he's a great guy i've had a few interactions with him very very nice and uh also, Arnie Vecchione, the longtime DPW director, also uh, he is retiring, um, and we'll probably a future. We'll we'll definitely have future coverage on. Uh, we'll be filling Arnie's shoes. So it's a uh, it's been quite a quite a week in Johnson for new appointments and uh, retirements.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I know uh, Arnie and and Dan were per, were long longtime fixtures up there. So mm-hmm. um, it's certainly it's a it's a lot of turnover in the leadership there. Uh, the town's kind of administrative structure. So. Um, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that coverage. Absolutely. Um, I'll note, too, on the Warwick side, uh, giving a look at the Beacon this week, John uh, Howell, the publisher of the Be- of Beacon Communications and editor of the Warwick Beacon, had a uh, write-up on the political front about uh, the Warwick GOP's hopeful slate of candidates. No names yet, but uh, the, the, the chairman of the city committee uh, saying he thinks he's got a good complement of candidates. Obviously, in the mayoral race in Warwick, we got an incumbent Mayor Joe Solomon, uh, a Democrat, uh, likely, or or I think basically in effect, that's at this point announced he's seeking reelection, and uh, Frank McCosey, Um is it Frank? I did this last week too. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, I, t- it's one of those weird blocks. I don't I don't know why. I You know what? I I've had another one of those lately. You know the the comic actor uh, Sam Richardson.
1: Oh yes, of uh, of I think you should leave in Veep fame.
0: Yes, yeah, we've been watching Veep, and I I kept uh, he'd come on screen, and I think he's so funny, and he's great. And I've seen him in so many things, and I, I I I kept forgetting. I kept thinking it was like, is it Robertson or Robinson? Yeah. no,
1: it's like, I, I get that, and I know he's also in the Detroiters, right? Yeah, yes. yeah. So he's he's I love Sam Richardson. He's he's fantastic, but I know what you mean. There's I can't think of one off the top of my head, but there are definitely actors where I'll be like. So like that's their name, right? Like I'm not. No, it's it's actually Sam Richardson might be one of them because I'm always like I know his name, but I don't know his name. So I get it, that.
0: It's just so weird. I'm like, why why does that happen? And the same with uh, Mr. Picozzi. So my my apologies to him. Indeed. One day I will get it right. But uh, uh, so we we have an interesting mayoral already shaping up in Warwick. Uh, Absolutely. More or less. Uh, elsewhere, um, John had some good coverage of. Obviously, no Gatsby Days parade this year, but uh, over the weekend they did uh, do some kind of little stealth ceremonies, um, including a uh, ecumenical service and a little small uh, parade featuring the Rangers and and some other folks. The valedictorians from the Warwick and Cranston high schools took part in it, which was pretty cool. Um, they kept it on the on the hush to try to avoid people congregating. Um, obviously, we miss Gatsby Days and the communities do, but uh, it's nice they were able to put. Something together, Um, (laughs) excuse me, Uh, I'll mention uh, Cranston High School East had a rolling graduation rally similar to what Cranston West did. Um, We have great coverage of that from Stephanie Bernaba this week. We've got some good video online and stuff. And forthcoming we will have the uh, coverage of the video graduation ceremonies, which are are scheduled to be released, uh, the East and West ceremonies, pretty shortly, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll have coverage of that next week. And I know, Jake, you had great coverage. Johnston graduation coverage. Thank you. In this week's edition, and uh, there's an e edition online right now. Yep. Um, it's on special.
1: Yeah, Johnstonsunrise.net. It's also on the Facebook page. You go check it out there. We, there's Everybody put a lot of work into it. So please go check it out. It looks fantastic. The ceremony was great. The parade was great. They did an excellent job kind of circumventing all the, the pandemic stuff that really got in their way of having a nice, usual commencement. So uh, congrats to the School District for uh, for a job well done
0: indeed uh so to transition from that uh to go to this week's guest um john howell and uh our new reporter mara wick uh made a uh a visit this week up to providence college to speak with father brian shanley the president of the college he's a warwick native he's retiring this year after 15 years uh, leading pc and uh, i gotta say this interview i listened to yesterday is really really good um it was uh, they touched on a range of topics, uh, Father Shanley's thoughts, you know, reflecting on his speaking about his background and his career, um, talking about uh, sports. You know, uh, PC is obviously a big uh, uh, collegiate athletic uh, draw here in the state and um, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, social justice, the future of uh Higher education, they touch on a bunch of topics. It's a really, really good conversation. So um, it was a good get and a, a good interview. Um, and basically the, what you're going to hear is uh, the unedited. It was such a good natural conversation. I sat down to to begin editing it and it, it uh, didn't really need any. So you it's a good, it's a, le- a little lengthy, but it's a really good discussion. So uh, here is Father Ryan Shanley from Providence College. With John Howell and Morawick, and then we will return for a quick wrap up.
2: So you're a graduate of Tollgate, uh, yep. and uh, you know, remember Bob Shapiro as I do. I do, yes, fondly. And, and uh, you know the people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I gather you had some hesitance about going to PC. Mm-hmm. So how did this come about that you even arrived here as a as a student? Well, the the short story is
3: that my mother was on the faculty here uh, as a librarian. And so when I was a high school, going into my senior year in high school, I had my heart set on some pretty big prestigious institutions to go. I have always been good at school and uh, thought I could go basically wherever I wanted to go. and wanted to get out of Rhode Island and get away from home. And my parents sat me down one night and said to me, here's the deal, Brian. Um, If you wanna go to these other schools, uh, here's how much money we'll give you and you're gonna have to take out some loans uh, because this is what we did with our other children. Uh, Or you can go to Providence College, um, which is tuition free and uh, we'll pay room and board so you can get out of the house. And at that point in my life, I also wanted to go to law school and be a lawyer. And so my parents sweetened the deal and said, and if you go to PC, we'll help you with law school. If you go to these other schools, again, like the other kids, if you go to grad school, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. So I sat in that room. Um, It's one of those moments in life you never forget. And I said to myself, my parents are actually making sense, um, and, I, <laughs> are actually making sense. <laughs> and that um, I should go to PC and um, the other thing that my mother said to me was that there was an honors program at Providence College and um, you know I got into it it was just 20 students and uh, I got a great education a better education than some of my friends I thought that were at the kinds of Ivy League schools I wanted to go to, and so in the providence of God, um, I ended up here, and I ended up not going to law school. <laughs> so my parents made up, and I made up. <laughs>
2: <laughs> your parents made up too. <laughs> what was first on that list when you talk about the, you know, the schools you? What was your first pick, if you recall, way back then?
3: You know, I wanted to go to Yale or Princeton or Georgetown or Notre Dame, some place like that. I. Wanted yeah. to go to some big famous school and, um, you know, who knows whether I would have gotten into any of those schools. But um, I was, my grades and my board scores were good <laughs> enough that I would have been competitive. So,
2: But then the track to law, somehow you, you got off the track to that too. I and did. So,
3: you know, I went, when I came to PC, um, I wanted to be a lawyer because I wanted to get into politics. Um so my nephew Evan is kind of living a, a version of my life that I would have lived was I you know as I was in high school um but have when you I told got, him that he knows that yeah <laughs> okay. um, but when I got here I quickly became really enamored of becoming a college professor mm-hmm. so um my first pivot away from Law school was, I was a history major as an undergrad. I, I loved history. And uh, I thought, you know what? The life of a college professor is, is a great life. You get to work with kids, you get to teach, you get to study what you love. So I kind of thought, you know, I think maybe I'd like to be a college professor. Um, and then there was a Dominican here who said to me, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I said, no. And he said, well, you should think about that. And I started to think about it. And um, I ended up deciding that, why not be both a priest and a professor? And so that's what I decided to do. Mm
4: -hmm. Before coming to PC, were you particularly devout in the Catholic Church, or were you affiliated with the Dominicans at all?
3: I didn't know anything about the Dominicans till I got here. Mm -hmm. And I would say I wasn't particularly devout, but I was A regular church going Mm -hmm. faithful Catholic. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I grew up, my parents were very devout. And um, so, you know, I was always going to church. When I got here, I started going to church pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, started to read more, think more, pray more. And meeting the Dominicans here started to change my view about what I wanted to do with my life.
2: Mm -hmm. I've often. Heard from, because I've asked a question interviewing others that have chosen to go uh, into the ministry in some form or another, was there a moment that they felt they had a calling to do this? And what sort of inspired that? Did you have a similar situation where you felt, yes, I'm on the right track here and this is what I want to do?
3: You know, I have preached often about my journey into Uh, the priesthood because everybody wants to know did you have what I call the burning bush moment yeah Uh, I never got a burning bush moment uh, and I wanted one desperately and uh, I had to put together the pieces of a mosaic um, to figure out what God wanted me to do and there was no one single moment Um, I've told the story I used to go into the chapel um, and look at the crucifix and just and say, just nod your head, yes or no. Just tell me, please, because I'd like to get this over with. You'd <laughs> like to get an answer. I'd like to get an answer. I'd like a burning bush moment. And it never came. Uh, but as I sifted through the pieces of my life, conversations that I had with certain people, things that I read, stuff that I heard at mass... Uh, I, when I, I connected the dots and I felt like God was telling me, this is what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I tried to help people in their lives put the dots together because God is often very
2: subtle about how he operates. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that way about teaching too, is putting the dots together? Uh, that's an interesting uh, you know, analogy and uh, picture to... Yeah, you know, I've come, my views on teaching
3: have evolved uh, drastically over my time in the classroom because when I was a student, the teacher talked, and you just took notes. And then you memorized the notes, and you spit it back out on a test, and I was really good at that. And now the idea that teaching is the imparting of information, information is like the last thing that kids actually remember from a classroom, so I think of my role as a teacher in a more Socratic sense of being a midwife to their own thoughts. You want to get them to see things differently than they see it, to ask questions, to look at things from a different point of view. I mean, I've I've been a philosophy teacher, so it's all about ideas. It's like, how do you teach kids to see the world differently? To And I've been teaching ethics classes regularly here for my entire time. It's like, okay, how do you figure out what's right and wrong? And here's what Aristotle says, here's what Kant said, and here's some version of utilitarianism. Those are the three big theories. And it's like, uh, and then let's play around with some problems and see about how you would approach them depending upon which philosophical framework you're going to look at things at, and so my goal is uh, not so much you know can they res- recite the categorical imperative, although I hope they can do that, uh, but you know can they think more broadly, more deeply, more critically, and more analytically than before? And you know I teach at this table, so I sit in this well, I actually sit in that chair, and it's like okay, what do you think Aristotle's getting at here? Tell me and Um, Because what you want to do in education is not so much impart information as just teach people how to think better. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am a firm believer that the biggest part of our lives is learning. Um, And it's not just when you're in college. Um, I'm hoping to learn something new every day. And uh, I want to help my students develop the capacity to be really lifelong learners and critical
2: thinkers. Do you feel that you've moved using using that? Do you feel that you've moved uh, the teaching here at the college in that direction? Have you been successful in doing that?
3: I won't claim any credit for that, um, but that's exactly what's happened in higher ed. The the buzzword that and when we did curriculum review in my first uh, few years here, it's about active learning. How do you? help students to be more active in their learning. And by active learning, you know, if I, if you said to me, what are the things that you remember the most? Um, I would say it's the things that I had to write a paper on. Because when you write a paper, you have to create something. You have to organize your thoughts. You have to do research. And then you you kind of lay it out. And you learn more from that exercise than you know, just memorizing information that somebody has told you. And then you spit that back out on a test, and an hour later, you don't remember even 15%, because you just crammed it into your brain, you, you know, barfed it out, and Mm -hmm. then uh, you move on. But things that you write a paper on, even in grad school, that the main thing you do is write papers and participate in seminars. Um, So, you know, when I started, I stood behind a lectern, and orated and basically students you just need to know what I think about things and now it's like all right, what does this text mean and um, you know write a paper on this and choose a topic that matters to you and and learn about it.
2: Do you think with uh, you know obviously what's happened with the pandemic this whole sort of shift to distance learning and and you know, somewhere in this discussion, let's talk about where you see that going in terms of how it's going to affect the college here, but do you think what you're describing is possible in that distance learning situation? Can you get that engagement from kids?
3: I don't think you can. And I think uh, the experience of, of vast remote learning, which is what higher ed has had to do in the last you know a few months as well it's I, I think remote learning can be really successful uh, if you're really good at it and uh, there are schools that um, are really good at online learning And I think for particularly for adults who are trying to pick up a degree on the side when they're and they're working and that's a lot of people that they don't have the luxury of the four-year residential college experience but my sense of both our professors and our students is that while learning did take place remotely, it's not a substitute for the in-person kind of learning that you can do. Um, You know, I've been in so many Zoom meetings in the last few months and Zoom is okay, but Zoom isn't sitting here and having a conversation like this. And so I, I think there's this pent up Longing for students and faculty, what I'm hearing from ours anyway, like, can we get back humanly face to face? And you know, going back to Socrates, as I mentioned a moment ago, that was the form of learning, as you, you, you talked to people, and uh, I think the pandemic has highlighted um, the value of the residential experience and also all the other extracurricular learning that you. That you have on a college campus, from uh, com- conversations that you have with people, from lectures that you bring in, from clubs and orgs that you belong to, from the socialization, late night bull sessions, all that sort of stuff. Athletics, athletics, yeah. you know, the the whole thing is, it's. Um, I think the value of the traditional residential college education has never been more starkly obvious than it is right now.
4: It might be a bit too early to ask you this because phase three will begin in July but has there been any discussion regarding whether Providence College will continue distance learning or do a modified in-person learning in the fall?
3: Yeah I think every college that I know of and certainly all the ones in Rhode Island are planning for on the ground, in-person learning in the fall. But everybody, uh, even though a lot of them won't say it, are also planning for a scenario where there's an outbreak or a second phase and we have to pivot back to remote learning again. So we're developing plans to be able to deliver all of our learning online if and when we need to do it. Uh, But we're also planning to figure out how can we safely reopen our campus for in-person learning. And uh, the governor has asked all of the higher eds in Rhode Island to submit plans for how they're gonna do that. And we submitted ours on Monday like everybody else did and we'll have a meeting with um, the governor's team in probably a couple of weeks and uh, consult with the other schools and hopefully have a plan to have our students back.
2: In turning the clock, uh, back a bit here uh, from that point that you decided to go, you, you know, you listened to that um, description and, or uh, appeal to consider going into the priesthood. And how did you arrive at, you know, being a Dominican? And then how did that translate into being coming here? Did you ever expect that you would end up? At the institution that you graduated from you know when
3: when i came here and subsequently started thinking about being a dominican i had never thought about being quote a priest what attracted me was the mix in the dominican life of being a priest but also being a scholar mm-hmm. and um, as i said i came to the scholar piece first and then the priesthood piece I saw connected because what both vocations involve is communication and speaking with people. And the Dominicans, when I was here, were just unbelievably good preachers. Uh, That's what we're supposed to be doing. And preaching and teaching are very much the same sort of a thing. You're communicating with people. You're trying to connect with people. You're trying to change their minds and hearts. Uh, in what you're doing. So when I came to see the connection between the two um, and then you know my heart's desire when I was going through my formation as a priest was I wanted to come back to Providence College because I wanted to be that person for other people that the Dominicans had been for me here. So I was thrilled when my first assignment was back here and I spent three years as a young priest um, teaching philosophy i was a hall director for two years so i was living in the trenches with the students Um, and i had this this fabulous time and uh, and you know my parents were still alive this is home for me Um, it was three of the happiest years of my life and then I left to go get a Ph.D., mm-hmm. uh, which was the next step if I wanted a full-time career as a, mm-hmm. as a teacher and a scholar and a priest. Um, and I got it. And I desperately wanted to come back here. And then I got a job offer at Catholic University in Washington, mm-hmm. where I had done my, uh, what's called the licentiate in philosophy, which is a glorified master's degree. Mm-hmm. And um, my provincial said, I'd like you to take that. And I did, and I had 11 incredibly good years at Catholic U just teaching philosophy full-time and writing and researching and teaching, and teaching grad students, and, you know, I got tenure and promotion, and I thought I would probably spend most of the rest of my life there, and then this job opened up,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and I was asked to throw my hat in the ring, and I never thought I was going to get it, because mm-hmm. I was too young and inexperienced and everything else, and... I got the job. So,
2: <laughs> yeah. Looking at some of the articles that have been written, uh, and one actually in go local. Uh, you know, casts in the light like, that uh, the problem, the, the reason you're not staying another five years is that under your tenure, the. The college has drifted to more liberal sides, more liberal views. Uh, do you see that as, is, is that an accurate portrayal, do you think, or?
3: No, I don't believe a lot of what's in Go Local, to be honest with you. Uh, I know that's one theory that's out there that, you know, Providence College has become too liberal and therefore, you know, the, the Dominicans, want to rein it in or whatever. I don't, I don't right. think that's the case, um, but I know that's a theory that's out there.
2: Had you hoped to stay another five years? I did, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm. And the board wanted me to stay. So it was my provincial that decided um, that it was time for mm-hmm. a change.
2: Right. So what will you do now?
3: You know, that's a great question that I don't have the answer to. And I've asked uh, the provincial to give me time off to discern what I want to do. It's been, you know, a consuming 15 years for me. It's 365, 24 seven sort of a job. And I thought I was going to have time to reflect as I was going out the door. Instead, I've been dealing with the pandemic. And um, so I'm going to take at least six months off and uh, kind of go back to uh, the discernment game that I played when I was here, and say to God, what, what do you want me to do? And I've had some offers to consider other positions, but I've said no. Um, I've, I've thought about everything from just going back to being a full-time philosophy professor, to taking another job as a college president at a Catholic school, to, um, I had a couple of think-tank offers to do stuff. People tell me I should write. Um, There are things here that I might want to do when the dust settles. Um, So I'm okay not knowing, because at some point God's going to whack me. or or Not whack me, but I'll put the dots together, as I said before, about what I'm supposed to do next.
4: Or maybe you'll finally get your burning bush moment. Yeah,
3: I'm not looking for... I I wish I would, but that's one of my life lessons is don't look for the burning bush. Learn how to connect the dots.
2: Well, you could go off on the golf course, right? Yes,
3: I am looking forward to playing uh, a little bit more golf than I normally would this summer. And uh, and I'm looking forward to um, being able to just kind of clear my head and think about what do I want to do as opposed to the the concern of, of just running Providence College, which has been the singular focus of
2: my life for 15 years. Is there something that you're looking at those 15 years that and uh, thinking ahead now that you wish you'd been able to do, that you weren't able to do? You know, I,
3: I don't have big regrets at all. The things that I came here that I wanted to do, uh, I've done, and even things I didn't know that I wanted to do because I didn't understand what needed to be done. So uh, as I look back, I don't really have any big regrets. Uh, there are things that I would have liked to have, you know, kept the ball moving on, but... Um,
2: what rid sort of things?
3: Well, there, there's still a lot of work to be done on diversity, equity, and inclusion here. Mm-hmm. You know, when I came into this position, we were less than 10% of our students were students of color, and it's closer to 20% now, so we've more than doubled that. We've also diversified the faculty considerably, um, and in the climate that we're in right now, race is gonna be the number one question on every college campus going forward, is how do we make America a truly just society, and what role you know our college campus is going to play in that so um, the pandemic will go away uh, but race is never going to go away it's it's the number one uh, topic in the country right now and uh, you know so i'm a little bit regretful that i'm leaving when this challenge is here but uh, at the same time you know Father Sicard, who's taken over for me, has been my number two for 15 years. There's nobody better prepared to do this and to do this work in particular than he is. So I feel a little bit guilty going out in a pandemic with, you know, the racial um, question being in the forefront. But you don't get to pick one. You you know, I didn't see this coming six months ago. Nobody did. And uh, all of a sudden, everything has changed.
2: And how do you address the racial problem? I mean, you've talked about, obviously, 10% when you came in and 20% now in terms of uh, enrollment. Where, what other things can you do? Well, I think the role of education
3: is critical. And, you know, I, I read an article recently in the New York Times that there are uh, two books you can't get on Amazon right now because they're sold out. Um, And one of them is How to Be an Anti-Racist, and uh, it's a book I read a year ago and have been recommending to people, Um, and it's about, the basic thesis is you're either complicit with racism or you're actively opposing racism, and it's a wonderful history of um, racism in America, wonderful, I don't mean the topic, but it's just so well written. And uh, there's another book um, called White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo that you can't get now. It's been on the bestseller list in the New York Times for a long time. Mm-hmm. We had her here as a speaker in uh, this past year. And you know I read that book a year ago and I handed it out to lots of people. It's like, why is it so hard for white people to talk about racism and race? And so those kinds of conversations And scholarship, Um, that's what colleges are supposed to be places where where those kinds of books are read and discussed and you bring in speakers and you educate the next generation to understand the history of racism in the United States. Uh, If you're a white person why you're fragile when it comes to talking about race. So I think college campuses can be places where the conversation that America needs to have can be modeled and can take place and I look forward hopefully this year here we'll, if we're in person we can do this. Yeah. And of course,
2: you had that situation here with the sit-in. Yep. Uh, based on that. Yeah. Uh,
3: yeah, and everybody thought things had gotten better. Yeah. And then you realize, no, they haven't. And the, the role of videotaping, and when you see, plain as day, racist right. activities, you can't ignore them anymore and you can't say well we've gotten better it's no it's the same and you listen to the voices of of black people who've been profiled and harassed and unjustly treated it's you know it's something white people don't have to deal with they don't
2: understand it don't you think though that's some of that is just some bad actors in the police departments or you know that are doing this and this they become sort of the poster child of the whole thing Well, you know, my
3: twin brother, Paul, was a war police officer for 20-something years and then at Brown, and so I think most cops are really good guys and and women, Um, but there's some bad agents in that, and um, it's unfortunate that the police are all being tarred with the same brush right now, but the reality is that there are some bad apples in the bunch, and... I think the you know one of the big challenges is that internal to police departments, and my my brother Paul for many years was the um, internal affairs officer in Warwick, and um, you know there are some cops that do things that they shouldn't do, and it's very hard sometimes to get them out, um, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing now is that. Some of these police officers were either extremely inexperienced or had sent signals before by previous activities that maybe they shouldn't be police officers.
4: So what should police departments do about these in order to prevent future
2: incidents?
3: You know, I've, I'm not an expert in any uh, of this, yeah. but you know as a layperson just looking at it, mm-hmm. I think training is obviously critical mm-hmm. and um, you know, the cop in uh, um, Minneapolis was a training officer and the cops, are, the, the inexperienced police officers that were with him were all his trainees. And uh, at least that's my my impression of this. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, if you have a bad officer training you, um, you're not going to be a really good police officer. So training and education um, is one of them. and. And I just think, you know, the neighborhood police initiatives that you get to know the folks that you're policing. Uh, I think, you know, better discipline for officers who do commit acts that are, are questionable. Uh, I think um, diversifying police departments um, is really important as well. The police need to look like the people that they're policing. Mm-hmm. So um, so I think there are some obvious things that people are talking about. but. You know, I'm a philosophy professor. I don't pretend to know these sort of things. I yeah. just have a citizen's <laughs> view on this.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you have quite a family still in Warwick, don't you?
3: Well, I, you know, um, my nephew Evan lives in Warwick, and my brother's wife, Patty, lives in Warwick. She's um, a teacher still, She's a school, she? She's a kindergarten teacher in Norwood. Right. Um, You know, and Evan has got his political career going, and they ended up. It's you know, classic Rhode Island fashion. The house that we grew up in was on Superior Street, and you go down the end of the Superior Street and take a right on Viceroy, and there's Evan's house. So he's like about, you know, a stone's throw from where his father and I grew up, and then Paul ended up two further blocks away on Sturbridge, across from Cedar Hill School, where we went to elementary school and right near St. Gregory's Church, where, where we grew up. So in classic Rhode Island fashion, neither of them had ended up very far from where they started. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Looking way ahead, and, just, and, I and I know that's maybe a question that's really tough to sort of imagine, but where do you see this institution in, let's say, 20 years from now? Where, where should, what's it going to be like? You know, my uh,
3: dream has always been for Providence College to be mentioned in the same sentence with all the other great Catholic schools in this country, to have a really national profile, Um, to be seen like Notre Dame, Villanova, Georgetown, Boston College, Holy Cross, Providence College, whatever. And I think we've become a more national school since I've been here in the sense that we draw students Uh, more from out of I mean our cradle is still Connecticut Massachusetts New York New Jersey Rhode Island that's you know Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell you the number I want to say that's 75% of PC students but Mm -hmm. we've become a a more national school and I think for us to be successful going forward we have to continue to do that and uh, you know one piece of that strategy for me has been uh, the basketball program and you know, one of the things that I'm proud about going out the door is we've become relevant again in basketball, and it's given us a nas- a more national profile. And um, for the first half of my time here, we were struggling to, you know, get a good program going and consistently play well. And, and since we got Ed Cooley, um, you know, we're in the NCAA tournament almost every year, we're on a lot of national television, Ed has helped give the college uh, a really great profile, and he's you know, a local boy, made good story par excellence, um, so that piece of things, uh, I look at athletics as primarily the value of athletics is what it does for student-athletes. Um, it's part of their education is to learn how to be a good teammate, to learn discipline, to learn um, all the things you have to learn to be a, a top-notch student athlete. Um, but athletics also builds community and it's a marketing platform. So I've looked at athletics that way and we've gotten to be really good, in, not just in basketball, but you know, winning the national championship in hockey in 2015 was the single most thrilling moment of my time here you know people say what's your favorite moment i said well just from a thorough point of view it's jumping up and screaming in uh, td garden when the you know, the final horn sounded it's like we're the national champions we just beat beat you <laughs> So, I still have a picture of me on the ice with Bob Driscoll after the game going, this is amazing.
4: So. <laughs> yeah, speaking of athletics, I was reading on your website that you are a self-described sports enthusiast. I know we spoke about golf, but you are also involved in, I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Zeng Yi martial arts? Yep. That's a pretty unique hobby. With that and being an opera fan, you sounds like you're quite the renaissance man <laughs> in that regard.
3: Well, um... <laughs> When I was a young priest here, I was asked by a student if I would serve as the moderator of the karate club mm-hmm. and I said yes, and then I said, "You know what? I've always wanted to try mm-hmm. karate so I took karate for a few years when I was here, and then the 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 student who graduated and who was teaching the class my last year here became interested in Bruce Lee's martial art, which is called Jeet Kune Do. And so I switched to that for about 11 or 12 years. Um, Then I took a short hiatus, because I hurt my back (laughs) from martial arts. (laughs) Then I started From martial arts? Yep. And I started again in a Chinese martial art called Xing Yi. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been doing Xing Yi for close to 20 to 25 years. And I've actually learned a couple other internal arts since uh, that bio was put up on me. Um, there's a wonderful uh, teacher in East Providence, uh, Wenqing Wu, who uh, has a place called the Way of the Dragon. And he teaches Chinese martial arts. And he's taught me a lot of different stuff with even more arcane names than, than Xing Yi. And uh, it's been like a therapy for me. It's you know, learning a martial art is learning how to use your body in different ways. And um, I was always attracted to the grace of, of martial arts. When you see somebody like Bruce Lee, they just did a documentary on him. And I thought, oh, Bruce Lee moves, like, unbelievably. And it's like, I want to learn how to move and be in my body better. So so I do it for health and for therapy and for, um, you know, in case I need to whack somebody, I know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So you haven't whacked anybody. No, no. no I, it,
3: there is that turn-the-other-cheek stuff that Jesus talks about, so... Yeah.
2: Yes! i got to
3: turn the other cheek, but if I needed to, I could hit you really hard.
2: I won't challenge yes. you. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, this is... I've really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, it, is there something you want to sort of impart in terms of when you leave here thinking in terms of is there something you you want to get out to say to people to whether it's you know alumni or uh, you know students who are going to be walking in the door come uh august uh
3: you know one of the things that i've talked about, and, and it's one of my mantras with students, um, and this goes to the connection between preaching and teaching, which has been the warp and the woof of my life, is that there's a, there's a term that gets translated into English as repent. And it's one of Jesus's basic message, repent. Mm-hmm. And the actual Greek word is metanoene. And it literally means to go beyond the mind you have. And I think both education and religion and spirituality constantly challenge you to, as I said to the students, I want to blow your mind. I want it to expand. I want it to be different. I want you to think about things in a new way. I want you to spend the rest of your life trying to blow your mind up, which means studying points of view that are very different from yours. Like, I, I teach an ethics class, and I teach, uh, one of the topics I teach is about abortion. And I give, I mm-hmm. say, so you, you guys need to know both sides of this argument. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you're gonna engage with people, you need to try to understand their point of view. and. You know, Thomas Aquinas, who's my hero and before I became a college president I thought about Thomas Aquinas every day and read his stuff, had this format of a disputed question. This is how medievals debated it. So the the master would spend one day saying here's one here's a bunch of arguments for one side. Day two would be here's a bunch of arguments for the other side and on day three I'm gonna tell you which side I think is right. And I'm going to explain why I think the other point of view isn't right. And But often, when you come to understand your own point of view and what the other point of view is, you see partial truths. Like, you're not an idiot necessarily, but maybe they missed this or that. And that capacity to um, go beyond the mind you have and consider things from multiple point of view is. I think uh, more needed than ever in our country right now, where um, people just get in closed boxes, they listen to the echo chamber of people that agree with them, and they don't know how to talk to people that have a different point of view. So um, I think that work of education, of blowing people's minds up, making them bigger, and getting them to consider other points of view is. Is really important and I hope whatever it is I'm doing going
2: forward that I'm still part of that and do you see that as really the role of the institution as well as to... I do
3: I do this is you know we're here and you know a Catholic institution is supposed to convey a Catholic point of view but you can't do that in a vacuum you have to also convey other points of view and learn how to get into a dialogue from the Catholic point of view with other points of view. And that's what uh, I think we're trying to do here
2: at Providence College. And the college, in 20 years from now, you hope is obviously gonna be doing that as well.
3: Yeah, yeah,
2: at a higher level,
3: and uh, with even better students, and a better faculty, and more money, <laughs> and, and a national reputation. <laughs>
0: back thanks again to father shanley for taking the time to speak with john and laura um so typically we've wrapped up uh, each week's edition with a little entertainment recommendation uh i'm a little uh i don't really even know what to plug so i'll i'll step uh, I'll, I'll go to this little anecdote from uh the, my news coverage this week which i think you, jake you saw on twitter was watching uh Mm. The, uh, the live streaming the, the Cranston city council zoom meeting. They had a special meeting last night, Thursday, uh, the 18th to introduce a new contract agreement with, uh, uh the IBPO, the local union police union. And, uh, I mean, there was the only business before the meeting was to, you know, uh, go into session to introduce this new business and to refer it to the committee level. There was no discussion, anything, but, uh, and it took them a couple minutes to get going. They were a little late. And then suddenly, uh, and I, I've read about this but had not experienced until then, the meeting was uh, hijacked. It's obviously a public meeting. And suddenly the people started uh, screaming uh, racial slurs over the stream, started, uh, uh, you know, people share their video and the the, the speaker pops up, um, at least on the setting I had it on. And, uh, you know, they were showing some really, some kind of graphic the uh, video was pretty not pleasant, and uh, filling up the chat section of the the stream with the blocks of text, kind of nonsensical. Or I didn't really even know what it, what it was going for. Playing music and just sounds of screams and yelling. It was, uh, it was very jarring, but uh, it, it continued for about a minute or two, and then um, and then it abated. And um, the the council asked uh, the police department to listen in on they had a subsequent meeting a, a committee level meeting uh, also conducted over zoom so I guess the police monitored that meeting and uh, um, there were no issues during that one um, but it was pretty it was pretty weird and pretty uh, I know I've heard reports of this happening across the country as uh, public bodies have to hold these meetings remotely and obviously because the need to allow for public engagement, you know, it, anyone like this meeting, anyone could log on, anyone in the world, literally. I mean, all you need to do is, is click the link. So, um, but it, it was, uh, it was a strange experience. Now my my hypothesis in the moment, my, my, my guess was that it, uh, because it, uh, with everything that's going on right now in terms of social justice, and uh and racial injustice and the movements that are happening um in this whole debate over the role of policing i'm assuming that some some folks may have uh you know found stumbled on this by because of this meeting the agenda related to police i'm assuming maybe it was targeted because of that and maybe that's been a similar thing that's been happening but uh um uh, that's just conjecture on my part but uh Anyway, that that, uh, (laughs) far from entertaining, but it was certainly uh, an experience. So hopefully, uh, you know that doesn't uh, keep happening. And uh, um, but it it just puts it's such a strange uh, uh, wrinkle of this whole situation we're living in. That uh, and we'll see once once Rhode Island hits phase three. I don't know what the rules will be. I know the Cranston School Committee, for instance, has actually started gathering. Uh, together for their meetings, they're still streaming them, and members of the public have to engage that way. It's just the, the committee and the superintendent and the key administrators and clerical people that are needed to to run the meeting that are present. But uh, anyway, that uh, that's my uh, that's my plug for the week. I don't believe that Cranston hasn't been archiving that video, and I certainly imagine they wouldn't archive um, this or. Make it, you know, post it. I don't know why they haven't been posting their meetings lately after they happen, but uh, the video is is a public document. So uh, if anyone's curious, contact City Hall. I'm sure they can hook you up. So, uh, Jake, you had any well, what's going on with you this week?
1: Uh, I'll be I'll be brief. Uh, I'll follow up on my. I have nothing as as profound as that, but I did find I did watch The King of Staten Island. Emily and I did watch it. I enjoyed I it. It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Bill Burr, and Marissa Tomei were very good. Pete Davidson played to his strengths, and I'm not a really big fan of his. Mm. But and I'm also not really a big Judd Apatow fan in general. But I did really enjoy the movie. It was good. It was a little bit long. The tone and the pace were a little off at times, and there were some questions I left I had left unanswered. So that took some points away, dinged it a little bit. But overall, a pretty good total product. And you now it. Was my first time, quote unquote, at the movies since uh, February. So, uh, first time paid paid for a new movie in a long time. So, it was um, it was good. It was good. So, if you like Pete Davidson, Bill Burr, Marissa Tomei, if you like any kind of sort of, it's it's a pretty good drama. It's got some funny parts in it, but pretty pretty decent drama overall. So, also Steve Buscemi is really good in it too. So, pretty good cast. I recommend it if you're uh, looking for something to watch.
0: I was gonna say, uh, is it limited to? Uh only a particular platform and how much is it like a, a rental or is it like the price of a regular movie ticket
1: I will say it is 20 bucks but it is all, it's all—it's on demand it's only available on demand but I will say that is pretty much more or less what you'd be spending to go see it at the theater if you went mm. with you know your girlfriend or your significant other um, that would be how much you'd be spending anyway $10 a ticket whatever whatever probably less than that actually and then concessions all that stuff so that's how I kind of put it in my mind is that well you know what it's really not that bad so um, that yeah. was uh, it, it was a pretty good experience I liked it
0: cool yeah. I might have to check that out
1: yeah, I recommend it
0: and I know uh, I am excited uh, another thing that just popped in my mind I know you and I are both big fans of his. Uh, Eric Andre has a special coming out on Netflix right today, so. that's
1: right thank you for the reminder
0: yeah, I'm excited to check that yes. out probably a little a little too far out for the sensibilities of most right right <laughs> Readers, for sure, and listeners, most likely.
1: Definitely. Today. Well,
0: thanks for joining us on another edition of Radio Beacon. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at rodydank Follow Jake on Twitter at Jacob underscore Morocco. Follow our sports editor, Alex Ponseler, at 8 27 We'll have to get Alex back on one of these days. I mm. know uh, sports news is a little scarce, but uh, we'll have to welcome him back. And follow our main Twitter at rodybeat uh, let me actually call up Lara's Twitter, our new reporter, right. Laura Wick. She is uh, really good. We'll have to try to get her on as well, at least yes. for an introduction. Absolutely. You can call her at Lara underscore Wick and Wick is spelled W E I C K. Um, Lara, common spelling. Um, check us out at warwickonline.com, crestononline.com, johnson sunrise.net. Uh, Beacon Communications, of course, publisher of The War of Beacon, Cranston Herald, Johnson Sunrise, and Coventry Reminder. This podcast is hosted by Anchor Podcasts, uh, subscribe today, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, numerous other platforms. We'll have a link up on the website as well. I was actually looking, it seems like most of the traffic uh, based on the analytics I was looking at, listens are coming through uh, through Anchor, which was a little surprising to me, so I guess folks are finding it on the web and, and checking it out, but uh, if you do, then go to your, your favorite streaming uh, service and uh, or podcast platform and subscribe today. Um, what else am I missing here? Check out our special graduation cover, John line Hat tip, as always, to my friend John Schmenninghoff for the music at the top of the episode, and actually, while I'm editing after this, I'm going to try to get a little creative and incorporate some of his other tunes, so check those out. Um I guess that's about it. hope everyone uh, enjoys this. It's supposed to be a warm and clear and sunny, beautiful weekend. Enjoy the weather. Stay safe. Jake, thank you as always. And uh, we'll talk to you next week.